Hello, I'm Karen Marshall and you're listening to Shining a Diamond Light. Hello and welcome to Shining a Diamond Light, the podcast from the UK's national synchrotron Diamond Light Source. That's Molly Fry, I'm Tim Geit, and today we're talking with Karen Marshall, who has been coming to Diamond to take a closer look at brain cells, trying to understand how Alzheimer's disease develops. Karen didn't always want to be a scientist, but her desire to understand how the shape of tiny molecules inside our bodies affects our lives always led her back to research and back to Diamond. We're going to hear about Karen's work on our B24 beamline before talking about her career, why she loves conferences and the one skill she wants you to learn. Karen, what is your job? Well, I am a research scientist at the University of Sussex and I am studying um, the molecular mechanisms of how somebody might get Alzheimer's disease. And so how are you using Diamond to look at this? Because essentially it's, it's a very, very large electron microscope. But what is it allowing you to see in a different sort of way? Yeah, so we're using an X-ray microscope to look at the structure of the cells. So I think of it kind of analogous to a car maybe. Mm-hmm. And so with this microscope at Diamond, what we can do is look at all the individual components of the cell in quite a lot of detail. So what we get out of the experiment is a, a kind of a map of the cell. And so do you do this at like different time points then to see how it changes through time? Um, part of the project has been to look at how the cell might be, ch- yeah, changes that are occurring over time to see which parts go wrong first. When we first started, we were imaging lots of cells at different time points and with different amounts of this protein that damages them. And then we realised that we had loads and loads of data and loads of these maps of these cells. And we thought, well, this is all great, but we don't really know what's what within the cell. Yeah. So when you look at these uh, maps, which are called tomograms, you you can see a nucleus and cell membranes and other mitochondria but then there's a lot of other um, vesicles and other parts that we don't really know what they are. So then we had to go back a bit and go, okay, well, we can't look at everything at the moment. So we're going to have to identify particular parts that we're interested in or that we think might be damaged. We looked at a particular um, pathway that this is essential to the cell's health, which is called the endosomal lysosomal pathway. And this is really critical for the cell uh, to degrade waste products and just stuff that it's generated that it doesn't need anymore. Yeah, like the bin of the cell in a way. Yeah, exactly. And it's full of enzymes that break down this waste. So uh, we knew, and and lots of other work has shown that this pathway might be dysfunctional. Mm -hmm. And so we focused on these lysosomes and we can look at, we can label lysosomes with a fluorescent dye and then using another microscope that's at Diamond, the cryo-structured illumination microscope, using that we can look at fluorescent um, 
the fluorescently labelled lysosomes and then we can look at the exact same part of the cell with the x-ray microscope whereas before we would just had this like I say this map and we didn't know what was what now we can start to say okay these red parts are lysosomes for mm -hmm. example and you can do that with other organelles too. You're using the same sample and measuring it in two different ways it's the exact same exact, sample yeah, you take. Exact, take it out of one and put it in the other one basically yeah and because of the way we've prepared the sample we can look at like i said the same area so you have so one you know what you're looking at one picture is going to have these red glowy bits on it i guess yeah in my head what i was yeah, thinking of right. is almost like a thermal imaging camera i guess where it will glow in certain parts well it's right? a, yeah it's a laser so it's a fluorescent okay, image yeah. but yeah but you can't see any of the detail of the cell on that image no and then on the other one you have the detail but you can't tell the difference between anything it all kind of is exactly really hard to look at yeah everything so put it one over the other one and now the bits that you're interested in are kind of highlighted exactly so you can identify them cool yeah sounds like a good idea <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. a really good idea so what did you think of diamond the first time you came here i think when you walk in here it is quite overwhelming um how you know, huge it is, and and the it you know it looks so complicated, but you know that everything is really precise at the same time. Mm. So it's yeah, it's quite a it's quite an amazing place to be. Karen's research took place on our B twenty four beamline, which helps create maps of specimens in conditions very close to their natural state. We talked to one of our support scientists, Matthew Spink, to find out a little bit more about this beamline and how it works. With, with, with the X-ray microscopy, you, you get these volumes of cells out in cellular volumes, and to analyse all of the different features in the cell, you, you have to manually say what each of those features really? are. Really? Even now? So, so you, you, you have to effectively colour in all of the, say say all of the mitochondria you, you have to if you wanted to analyze all the mitochondria in a cell you'd have to color them in I feel like I did um, something like that in like fifth grade science <laughs> class but definitely not on this level uh, so so that that's something we've been and um, we've been working on because it's just such a lot such a huge amount of time that they need to yeah invest into into drawing around all of these features and now we're going back to Karen to hear how her career developed. So I thought it might be interesting to ask you, Karen, a little bit about before you were a scientist, which you are now, yes. right? <laughs> Did you think that this is what you were going to do? No. When you were growing up, <laughs> you said that you did biochemistry at university, right? Or, yes. So. I did. At some point, you must have kind of found out about it. Yeah, that's that is true. So um, when I was at school, I didn't come from an academic background, really, you know, family-wise. Um, and I think only one cousin had been to university. My parents didn't go. Um, and when I was at school... I really, I chose biology, chemistry and geography A-levels and I really didn't like maths very much. <laughs> um, uh, but I, def I knew biochemistry bio really was what I really enjoyed. And looking at, looking at what I thought was relevant to life at the smallest possible level. Mm. 
So molecular biology and biochemistry and structural biology were all, um, those were the kind of topics I was really interested in. That was why I chose to do biochemistry. And, but then even after that, I wasn't really sure I was going to be a scientist and I... Did you have another plan? I didn't really have a plan, but I was quite tired of never having any money. So my (laughs) only plan was that I wanted to earn lots of money. So I went and got a job training to be an accountant at Mm. a big audit firm. And I didn't stay there very long. (laughs) It's Um, a strange choice for someone who doesn't like maths. Yes, but but quite a good choice for somebody. Yeah, (laughs) somebody who... But you just have to add up and take away. (laughs) But it was quite a good choice for somebody who wanted to be wealthy. But then I realised it wasn't really that important. Yeah. It was more important <laughs> to enjoy what you did at work. Yeah. So after a bit more time, I thought I'd really like to do a PhD and I missed doing science and studying it. When you were transitioning back into STEM, especially as your path to science wasn't necessarily clear, was there anything that you wished you knew or any challenges that stood out to you? I think um, there's been, you know, now there's a lot more um, focus on on getting women and girls into STEM subjects and talk of imposter syndrome and those, you know, that wasn't really a phrase that was was in use at the time that I did my PhD, but I definitely felt that, especially because maths was really not my strong I was actually going to ask about this because, you know, I was the kind of person who grew up absolutely loving science and absolutely dreading math and I feel like, you know, well, now I am here at Diamond, but it's a big thing to sort of mentally get through. Yeah, yeah. And even though it sounds like a silly thing, it was there were times when I was really thinking, you know, I would have to really study if I was t- teaching, yeah. for example, um, really study what I was doing. And to other people, it came naturally. But that didn't mean that I wasn't any good at doing it, doing an experiment. Or, yeah. Um, making a solution or all the really precise things that you have to do when you're working in a lab. In the early days, I I used to think, oh no, I don't know that. This person knows more than me. I better go and find out. Now I think, I'll just ask them what they know. And then I know what they know and what I know. (laughs) So, So, and I'll tell them what I know. Yeah. And so if we all tell each other what we know... Then we can know more faster. Yeah, or we yeah. can and we can talk about things that we disagree about, and and you just I think there's you progress yeah progress quicker if everybody's really open. Do you enjoy going to conferences and giving talks and things in that vein? Yeah, yes, it's 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 really important because you can't really read what everybody's doing. And you get a lot more out of talking to people than you do from reading a paper. Because in a paper, so in the paper that we will publish, obviously it's going to look like everything worked really smoothly. (laughs) But if you actually go and speak to people, then you find out tips and tricks that they use. Because often you'll read a paper, try and repeat an experiment, and it just, you can't get any 
results from it. Mm. So if you go and talk to the people that are doing it, they'll say, oh, yeah, it's because I use this particular tube or you have to buy an antibody from this company or you have to incubate this for this amount of time or you have to wash... You know, there's so many little things. Yeah, I've read an article recently about, you know, what the what's not published in science. Yeah. And, and how much you can learn from the things that don't actually make it to the papers. Yes, there's some... I think somebody suggested... Uh, a journal of negative <laughs> results or something. Yes, I think be, that's what it was it about. It would be the most published journal, probably. Because mm. nobody, it's really hard to publish if you don't see a difference in something. Yeah. Then that's hard then to what, publish. Then what does it mean, but there is a meaning in it? Yeah. And when you're looking at the length of time, so this is going to be what, about five years for this, this piece of research that you're pulling together? Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Which is, I mean, and it's an amazing amount of, like you've talked about before, the data that's coming out of it, the te- techniques that have come out of it. So there's a lot that's gone into it, but, you know, it is it is an investment in time. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, I thought an interesting question to ask you maybe is if someone listens to this and thinks your work is quite cool, interesting, right, and they want to be able to contribute to this work on neurodegenerative diseases more broadly... What do you think something that maybe people don't know about or where there's a shortage of skills that would be the most useful? Well, I've noticed recently that the younger people coming in can all programme and I can't. And I think that, especially for the girls, if they can try, you know, there's no reason why you can't do that because you're female. So I think that that's the way things are moving um in some respects anyway mm-hmm. how can people find out more about about your work about what you do we have a, a lab website so my my uh, supervisor's name is louise serple and she's at the university of sussex and we have a, a website for our lab but also um we try and um go to science fairs and festivals and things like that in mostly in the local Brighton area um so we can if you if you kind of look out for events like that often us or other people working on things similar um kinds of science will be there um also we're quite involved with Alzheimer's Research UK and do lots of public events with them as well so we're quite out there in in the public um, so it's always nicer to go and talk to somebody than read something, but you can generally uh, find out, at least in the first instance, through the website. So it was great talking to Karen and finding out how Diamond is helping researchers to understand Alzheimer's disease. Yeah, and Karen also reminded us that you don't have to grow up being the best at math or science to contribute good ideas. So many different skills are valuable, and nobody's good at everything. Next week, we'll be talking to another amazing guest whose research has taken him all over the world, and sometimes further. Ooh, that's right. So make sure you subscribe to this podcast and follow Diamond Light Source on Facebook and Twitter so you don't miss out. And send any feedback or questions to podcast at diamond.ac.uk. Thanks for listening. <laughs>